Hello everybody, Andrea Pacini here from Ideas on Stage. Today I have a very interesting guest. I'm going to have a nice conversation with Essan Gavimi. Essan is a life coach, TEDx speaker. He's also a, an improvisation and public speaking coach, so very connected to the space mm -hmm. I'm in. He's also performed at the world's largest um, arts festival, which is the Edinburgh Fringe, so directly from Scotland. Essen, thank you very much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Essen, the, the reason why I wanted to, I contacted you in the, in the first place, and the reason why I wanted to have a, a conversation with you is because I recently discovered your TEDx talk, which you gave, when was it? A few years ago, I guess? So? 2017. So that was two years ago. Okay. And I found it fascinating. I really loved it. And because being a presentation coach, I said, well, I'm sure that many people and our audience here can learn a lot from many of the techniques that you've used uh, in your talk. So that's why I wanted to have a, a quick discussion and to ask some, some questions about, you know, from a public speaking communication perspective. Let's do it. Yeah, fire away. Yeah. So the the very first thing I noticed from your talk, which I liked very much, was the introduction. So the introduction mm. was great. Now, why don't you tell us what you did? Mm -hmm. Because I can already I can already say something that basically you didn't have a standard introduction as in, okay, my name is Hassan, today I'm going to talk about blah, blah, blah. You've done something different. So tell us what you've done and also, even more importantly, why? So I, in preparation for my talk, I watched every single TEDx talk about improvisation that I could find. And the running theme in all of them was that they were boring. I mean, just so dry. And they were so different to what improv is about, which is it's, it's fun. It's about energy and excitement and storytelling and being in the moment. So I thought I want to start at that place and really, really just come out all guns blazing and really shock the audience. Because most people, they come to a TEDx event and they think, okay, well, I'm just going to sit in the dark and I'm going to observe and maybe take notes and then nod my head and then go home. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> no, not in my TEDx talk. So I, I basically came out and I said, before I even introduced myself, I said, I want all of you to just turn to the person next to you and find out their name. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a bit of a standard thing. Maybe, you know, people weren't that surprised. So, yeah, people find, find the, the name of the person next to them. And then I said, I want you to shout out the person's name as loud as you possibly can. So that kind of pushed them a bit further out of their zone. So they were doing the speaking instead of me. And for the next stage, I said, okay, that was great. This time, I want you to do it even louder, so loud that you, you know, people outside start to get worried about what's happening in this room. You know, people, <laughs> why are people screaming in there? So loud. I want you to shout the words, I love you followed by the name of the person who you just met. And that that really just completely broke the ice. Okay. Everybody laughed, I remember. 
yeah, everybody loved. And I think that was very important because a lot of people ignore it, but the two most important moments in any presentation are the introduction and the conclusion. Even science tells us is the primacy effect and the recency effect. So being able to start in a way which is original and engaging is very, very important. So I, I like that very much. And also another thing I noticed, Essen, was that you really try, and you did it very well, to interact with the audience. And you did it in the introduction, but not just in the, in, in the introduction, also throughout the talk. I remember at a certain point, you even played a game with a member uh, of the audience, improvised, completely improvised. Again, why did you do that instead of just going standard? First of all, for, for my amusement, because I really enjoy that. And when I enjoy myself, people just, they connect with me so much more. And also because I think it's so much more interesting if there's a real connection between the speaker and the audience. And it's not just, okay, everyone, put up your hand. How many people in the room? Everyone does that. So I wanted to do something very, very different and actually have, it was almost like a bit of a conversation, a back and forth with a member of the audience. And through that, I'm actually connecting with everyone else because, you know, it's like he's a representative of the whole room, that person I'm connecting with. And it, it just is fun. You know, that's what improv is all about. It's about fun. It's about being playful and light and being in the moment. And yeah, it, it was really about really connecting with the audience. That's really what it was about. Yeah. And you mentioned improv already. We'll get to that. But before that, I have another question. The, perhaps the the thing that I liked the most about your talk was that it was really, I think, 99% stories, if not 100% stories. Now, what I see instead, especially when it comes to business presentations, my focus is normally on business presentations. Well, most business presentations, I'm sure you agree, are 99% facts and figures. And if we are lucky, 1% story. Yeah. I think that we should turn this around. Now, you did it very, very well. Your talk was one story after another. Personal stories, other people's stories. Again, tell us why you did that. Why is storytelling important when it comes to presenting? Stories are more powerful than you can even begin to imagine, than anyone can begin to imagine. They're so fundamentally human. There's something incredibly, incredibly powerful as soon as even a simple story and so you could phrase something like you know descriptively and describe it in facts and points and bullet points or you could tell a story for example um an orange say you know an orange you could start saying an orange is a, a ball it's shaped like this it's well it's orange you can cut it you can that's facts and figures if you tell a story about like when i was six years old Instantly, I've got you. When I was six years old, I was obsessed with oranges. You know those Terry's chocolate oranges? I, it's like I'm taking you back to your childhood and I'm sharing part of me. And it's such a powerful thing. And it, especially if it's a personal story. That's another thing. Most of the stories that I told were not just, there was a guy named Jack and he did this. I mean, that's also a story. But I, I said I. I used the word I a lot. I said this happened to me. So there's a certain sense of vulnerability in that, in opening up and saying, this is my life on display. Um, 
but it's powerful. That connects with people in a way that nothing else will. That's how you establish a real connection with the audience. I agree 100%. You mentioned vulnerability and, and before that, improv. I know that you have a background in improvisation, improvised theater, and I'm really curious to understand your view on this. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, is there a role in improvisation when it comes to communication? Does improvisation, does your background of being an improviser help you when it comes to better communication, effective communication? If the answer is yes, how does it do that? The answer is 100% yes. I mean, even this conversation that we're having, okay, maybe there was a bit of an outline to what we're going to talk about, but I'm improvising right now, and so are you. You know, maybe maybe we've prepared little things to say, but fundamentally, I have never said things in this way up until this moment. So we're always improvising. You know, I, I, I would work with clients who would tell me, I can't improvise. And I could tell them, but you're doing it right now. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone's doing it. So absolutely, there's a place for, for improv in everything, really, not just public speaking. For me, it's it's the combination of improvisation and also some structure and practice. Mm. When you combine those things, it's unbelievably powerful. And actually, that leads me to the next question, because, right, then I thought, okay, this guy is an improviser. Does that mean that you actually improvise your talks or is there some sort of preparation you mentioned the word preparation right how how does that work this combination of improvisation and preparation at the same time my first ever idea so when i was invited to speak for for tedx my first ever idea was quite crazy and i i shelved this song quite early um it was to go out and not have anything prepared i thought if i'm going to talk about improv I'm going to be 100% improvised. And I thought I'd just go out and I'd get some suggestions from the audience and just make up a TEDx on the spot. But then I, I thought about it and I, I actually I asked myself, if I was going to die tomorrow, if I was going to die tomorrow, and this TEDx talk was today, and I only had 18 minutes to tell the story, what would I talk about? I spent so long thinking about that, writing notes, looking through my whole life. And I discovered that my personal story is the most powerful thing that I could talk about. And so to answer your question, you asked me, what's the combination? Well, my speech, I never scripted it. I never wrote it out word for word. But the first thing I did was, this is something I also do with my clients, and it's incredibly useful. I said in one sentence, in one simple, clear sentence that a child could understand, what is my 18-minute TEDx talk about? Every single word that I say is related to this sentence. And the sentence was, the story of the key moments in my life where I've improvised and what I've learned along the way. That was it. 18 minutes precisely on that. And when I, got, when I started with that, I then wrote out all these key moments on paper. And there were many and I, I thought, which ones are really, really pivotal? Which ones are the ones that really formed me, really had a huge impact on me? And then I narrowed it down. I narrowed this huge list down to maybe seven or eight points. And then for each of those points, I picked an image, a really clear image, which represented what that was. 
And those images became my slideshow. And when I was practicing, I would have this PowerPoint. And these images would be like little reminders of where I am in, in the structure of the speech. And when I was practicing, the way I did it was filming myself with a tripod and a microphone and just speaking into the camera about each of these images. And then I'd watch the footage of myself and just see what worked, see what didn't work. I find that the problem a lot of people have is they write in order to prepare for a speech. And they spend all their time writing and zero time speaking. This is quite an extreme way. I'm not recommending everyone does it this way. But for me, it works beautifully. Just, yeah. And you see, for me, that's that's a super valuable piece of advice because I see normally two types of speakers, Essen. You have the improvisers and the learners. The improvisers tend to be, to feel more comfortable improvising a bit more, as you are probably, and the learners feel more comfortable learning a script, maybe memorizing a script. But you see, there is the misconception that even if you are an improviser, that you don't need to prepare. But actually, you are an improviser and you have prepared, you've rehearsed and you've done it very, very well. So I also tell my clients, look, it doesn't matter whether you are an improviser or a learner. I would still encourage you to rehearse, to prepare, to rehearse a number of times, especially for improvisers. It doesn't matter if what you say is different each time you rehearse. That's fine, but I can promise them it will still be more powerful the fifth time than the first. Absolutely. And the beauty of doing it this way is when you have the basics of what you're going to say nailed down, it's like a weight lifted from your shoulders and you're free to improvise because you know and you have that confidence. It's like, okay, first slide I'm talking about this. And you've... I, I. I can't tell you the number of times that I, when I wasn't even speaking in front of the camera, I was going through the speech in my head and I would, I would, I have the slides on my phone. So I would say I was, you know, uh, waiting for a friend in a coffee shop. I'd get my phone out, I'd look at the slide and I'd start doing it with my head. Yeah. And I just go over and over. So you're absolutely right. It's a very important point. I think if I had gone with my first idea of just coming out and improvising, it would have been fun for me. Would the audience have gotten as much value? I'm not so sure. Because they, they didn't pay to come and see an improv show. Yeah. They paid to see a presentation. And that's the most important thing, because in the end, I always think of a presentation as something for the audience. So if I, if I give a presentation, it's not my presentation. It's their okay. presentation. So great point. Um, Essen, I saw, I was looking at your website and I saw a very interesting sentence. You said, and I'm quoting you uh, directly here, you say, some people quote writers and philosophers, I quote comedians. Very interesting. What, what do you mean, why to do that? It's, there's, for me, there's, like, stand-up comedy was my first love. It was the first thing that I just really connected with and I would see these people on stage just burying their soul you know just really opening up and being vulnerable in some cases being hilarious and just saying the things that other people wouldn't dare to say you know it was there was something about that that just really 
struck me that they were rebels. They were these visionaries. Like, wow, I want to be able to do that. That's that's what would go through my head. So people like George Carlin, for example, or Richard Pryor, or Bill Hicks. There's something about comedians who reveal the truth as they're making you laugh. There's something about that that really strikes a chord with me. And when I say I quote comedians as opposed to philosophers, it's almost like in, in beautifully written comedy or stand-up, there's a real art to distilling the essence of the joke into as, as few words as possible. And there's, there's like, if they're revealing the truth while they're doing that, there's a certain wisdom in it. And it's also hitting you somewhere that's very, very primitive, very um, almost that caveman part of you. When you laugh, it's like a release. It's something you can't control. So it's raising your level of awareness and making you have this really powerful experience. And it's it's addictive, you know, laughing and learning at the same time. It's it's incredible. So very powerful combination, isn't it? Absolutely. And isn't it true that if there is this is what I believe, if there is one category, if you want, one one professional category that we should that we can really learn a lot from in terms of communication and public speaking is stand-up comedians, isn't it? Absolutely. I think a lot of people will see a big stand-up comedian. You know, I don't know who, whoever you may be into, but they just assume, oh, this guy, he's talking, or this girl, they, they seem so natural. They're just improvising. I look. I've performed with comedians. I've lived with comedians at the Fringe Festival. I know many, many professional comics. All of them time their jokes. They practice to the millisecond. Everything is, you wouldn't believe it, just obsessively rehearsed and practiced. And ruthlessly, they cut out the parts that don't work, try something new, mix it with something else. It's this constant dedication and ongoing process. Yeah, they are really fantastic professionals. I also admire them a lot. Essen, last question. Now, if there is, for our audience, if there is a few tips or maybe one tip that you'd like to give when it comes to effective communication, public speaking, what would that be? Hmm. I would say two words. So if you, if you forget everything that I've said, I've said a lot of stuff in this whole video. If you forget everything and you, you will forget most because you don't remember what people say. You remember, as the old cliche goes, how they make you feel. Take action. That, that's it. That's the only message that I have. Stop watching videos. Stop. <laughs> I, I realize the irony of saying that as I'm starring in a video. But after this video, just go up on stage, whether it's Toastmasters Club, whether you Google the name of your city in public speaking, and just put it in your diary. Actually commit and go. And it's not enough just to go and watch other people speak. This is another common misconception. People think if I read about public speaking, if I watch videos about public speaking, if I, you know, watch someone else speaking, those are all useful. But it, the way I see it, that's 1% of the work. 99% of the work is going up on stage and speaking. And for me, it's, it's a four-step process. So you speak, step one. You get feedback from someone who knows what, what they're talking about. There are a lot of people who will not give you honest feedback because they want to be nice. You know, I don't want to hurt your feelings. They want your to mom or your friends. Yes. You're amazing. I love you. It's like, yeah, but you're not helping. So honest feedback was constructive. There's also destructive feedback, which is, that was terrible. 
well, well, why? Well, I don't know. That, that's not useful. So you do it. You get feedback. Step three, you apply the feedback. If you get the best feedback in the world, you pay millions of pounds for coaching, and you don't apply the feedback, you've wasted your time. You've wasted your money. Apply the feedback. And the fourth and final step, repeat. Mm. It's not once. It's not twice. When you see me on that TEDx stage, this I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I spoke at an event recently, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, listen, I loved your presentation, but it must, it's easy for you because you're a natural. Yeah, yeah. And I said to this guy, listen, you should have seen me the first time I gave a speech. I was terrified. I still remember. I, I could barely look at the audience. You know, I was standing in front of a group of people, and I actually ended up taking my script out from my pocket, and I held it in front of me like a shield. So, and I was reading like a robot, and then I, that kind of thing. That's where I started. So when you see me on stage, that's like 10 years practice, relentlessly pushing myself, getting coaching, traveling the world to work with certain coaches. That is not a natural speaker. That's someone who is committed and taken action and followed those four steps that I mentioned. And, and the good thing is that you're right. Becoming a good presenter, a good communicator is a skill which is super important, but it's a skill that can be learned. Absolutely. Can be learned. And going back to the point you've just made, you may know Guy Kawasaki by any chance? Was, uh, remind me of who No he worries, he's, he's, a, he's an entrepreneur, public speaker from the US, a professional public speaker, and he said one day, I remember, it took me 20 years to become comfortable with public speaking. And he's a professional public speaker, 20 years. You mentioned 10, of course, because that's your experience, but that's it. Absolutely. It's people, this is another common question. You know, people, they want a shortcut. We live in, we live in the information age. You know, everyone wants a four step method to mastery in two days. It doesn't work like that. But if you're committed and you do the work, it takes a lot less than you think, you know? I've seen people spend months not improving at all because they're not getting the correct feedback because one of those four steps in the system is not being applied. If you apply all of them, you'll be amazed at what you can achieve in a few months of consistent practice. But it takes dedication and there's no magic. Yeah. Thank you so much, and This was very useful. I think perhaps one thing I would... Um, say to our audience today, I would say, do what Essen says, apart from one thing, he said, don't watch any more videos, I would say, watch Essen's TED Talk, because it's great, and then after yeah. that, stop yeah, and just, just, just watch my stuff, the rest, yeah, forget yeah. another one, just me and Andre, watch our stuff, and then, and then just, just do it, yeah, okay, do it. Essen, be, before we go, uh, if anybody wants to contact you, um, what, what should they do? Well, I... I have a website, so esangavini.com, E-H-S-A-N-G-H-A-V-I-M-I.com. And we can link it in the... Yeah, you can link it in. You can watch my TEDx talk, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm, I'm available on all these platforms. The usual suspects. The usual places. Okay, Esan, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I just, just quickly, just to say, don't let this be another video that... You watch and then you move on to the next one. Please take action. That's, that's the, the thing that I have to say. Two words. 
take action. I love it. Thank you so much, Hassan. All the best.